0: Hi, my name is Drew Cronin. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I am a general pediatrician who specializes in transgender medicine.
1: And I am Lisa Trujillo. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a mother of a transgender child and an advocate for transgender rights.
0: And this is our podcast, I'll Stand By You with Lizette
1: and Drew. <laughs> and together we talk about allyship, community, and the importance of showing up for one another.
0: Welcome to our podcast.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome to welcome back to I Stand By You with Lizette and Drew. As we began preparing for the new year, we decided we wanted to focus the next four episodes of 2020 on local community members.
0: Tucson is a vibrant city and our community is robust. But we wanted to highlight people who've shaped our day-to-day lives, our community and given so much of themselves to make this city the safe haven it is. The thing that's amazing in Tucson is we really do have so many resources here and so many people doing so much. And I love talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we have what? The only one of the only graduate programs for transgender studies in the U.S. We have a huge parent group. We have a camp for kids. We have medical providers at one of the largest community health centers in the country we have one of the oldest transgender support and advocacy groups in the country. I mean, it's
1: really amazing. It's really wonderful. And I think I'm super excited about this episode because one of my best friends is on it. And one of my partners in crime in organizing and agitating in the community. <laughs> and so we have, we're lucky to have Carol Brochin with us today. And um, Hi. we're going to allow her to introduce herself <laughs> and how you see yourself in the community
2: I am so happy to be here with y'all two of my favorite people too and like I um yeah my name is Carol Roach I um in my day-to-day life I uh, am a parent of two kids um one who is trans um non-binary and I also am uh, a professor at the U of A in the College of Education where I work with teachers and future teachers and um, teachers in the classroom right now.
1: Do you see yourself as a community organizer? Because you are. <laughs> you didn't mean to me. I didn't. Just like I didn't. Yeah I mean I never like, meant to be. Yeah right <laughs> I mean I think like
2: um I probably started uh, doing community organizing when I was young, Uh, and so, um, but it has felt like late, like in the last year, right? Um, Given what has happened at the state level and in our local community, somehow uh, I felt at a better place in my life to really like mm, take community organizing to, I don't know, like to, to be more in an integrative part of, of our daily life. And then necessary. For it. Yeah. Yeah. It was urgent. It feels urgent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For you, why did it, why did it feel, why did it feel urgent for you? I mean, besides the fact that the state has got huge issues and nationally we're in a dumpster fire and everything else. But for you, like what, what sort of things brought you to this?
2: I mean, I feel like there it's, If I think about the last year, right, like 2019 in particular, that for us started uh, signing on to the lawsuit. So like that was a personal kind of piece to it. Well, let's
1: talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, Let's
0: hear the details in that lawsuit. because I (laughs) love this story.
1: (laughs) And and if you can give us the background of when this law was enacted initially and how long it's been. It was enacted in 1991. Right, Wait,
0: let's start with what the law is.
1: Right. So, you actually you Dr. Cronin can do that because you are really good at explaining that part. So, I just know
0: I just know that in the early 1990s um there was this this law came in that was it was one of the no promo homo laws. Right. What that meant is that you could not in schools do anything that represented anything but heterosexuality in a positive light and my understanding that was not just sex ed but across the board so you couldn't talk about um you know the portrait of dorian gray having a lot to do with sort of gay life and stuff like that right um and it meant that kids who weren't heterosexual and cisgender really weren't allowed to have positive representations of themselves in the classroom because teachers were afraid of what would happen Um, And there was, the reason behind it, I feel like, had something to do with thinking that if you talked about homosexuality, you would make homosexuals, and that could increase the spread of AIDS.
1: Yeah. It was at the height of the AIDS That's really what it was about. Yeah. And so you were not allowed to talk about HIV, AIDS, and you were not allowed to talk about homosexuality in schools. And what's fascinating about this is that if you talk to cisgender heterosexual people, they are flabbergasted that this law existed and that it it persisted for so long, right? And so um, this is where we'll give it back to Carol, but you were, people reached out to you and reached out to a lot of organizations who were watching Arizona and were wanting to repeal this law.
2: Yeah, I mean, when I moved here to Arizona from Texas, People were like, oh, my God, you're going to Arizona. And I'm like, we live in Texas, (laughs) first of all, okay? Like, you can't, you know, you don't, it's, okay, so there's that piece. But but when I moved here, like, I didn't know that this law was in place. I didn't know that Texas had the law. I didn't know that Kentucky, like, uh, and it it was in my kind of, like, work with teachers that I discovered the no promo homo law or the no... I always say it wrong. And part of it was like the ways in which the law was originally written was specifically for sex ed. But it got like happens to most laws is that they overarch then into other areas and they get overinterpreted. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And so, then fear. 30 years in. Right. There's this fear that if you talk about these issues, you can be fired for your job from your job. And, like, I literally had teachers say that to me over and over again. Wait a minute, but can I read this book? Um, Can we read, you know, Entangle Makes Three in the Classroom Without Getting in Trouble? And I'm like, actually, yeah, because the law is just about sex ed. But it created a culture of fear. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem, you know, that's one of the problems, right? Is that Mm -hmm. then when you live in a culture of fear, it's,
1: it's done more than... It needs to be, and not only that, but it's internalized, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And 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 it's an, it's culturally absorbed, yeah, right? We can't exactly. talk about this thing. We exactly. can't talk about LGBTQIA people, which is not in, internalized even subconsciously by these kids, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So when you when you decided that um you were going to Go ahead and sign on to this lawsuit. You and I had lots of talks about this. I know this. we
0: did, and the and and the lawsuit, just to be clear, was to sue the state
2: to repeal the law. And so, and this was for done here, through the National yeah.
1: Center of Lesbian Rights. Yeah, NCLR
2: and Equality Arizona. Equality Arizona and um, Lambda Legal. Okay. And so they had been looking for plaintiffs for years. And I was like, let me help you find plaintiffs.
1: That was and me. I was like, let me help you find plaintiffs. <laughs> so we were like, let's I think let's dinner. I, yeah. I had a dinner the night before. Yeah, with the and attorney. And the lawyer was like, I'm meeting with so-and-so, and And I was like, they're my bestie. Yeah, and I'm like, Um, oh, at
2: least that should be the plaintiff. I think we were all thinking
1: (laughs) of each other.
0: Well, I had been actually, I had been talking to patients about this for a few years, and it was hard to find plaintiffs because it disrupts your life and involves a level of visibility that is really difficult.
1: I've been talking about this recently because I always tell people, it's one thing to be out as a family in like an advocacy way like yay we're visible we're out and it's another thing to be out when you're suing the state right i think the stakes are higher you were really nervous you talked about scrubbing your social media making it hard for people to find you because like some of our other friends that are involved in lawsuits right like one of our good yeah. friends uh there's death threats there's angry emails and you were really worried about this impacting your life. I was, and I got worried for like my kids' safety. Yes. You know, and so I feel like the things
2: aligned so that when I met with our attorney, Julie Walensky, Mm -hmm. um, and and so we're talking about kind of like the details of my life, right? Which is that like I am an owl lesbian raising my kids in a queer household. So there's that part right so my kids when we moved to the state part of the problem was that when they're getting sex ed or when they're doing family life curriculum like not only are they not seeing themselves and their own gender and their own sexuality but that of their family right right because the only thing that we know about schools is that they teach heteronormativity and heteronormativity. Is reinscribed over and over, right? The pervasiveness of that. Well,
1: and people don't realize just how much they interact. Like I, I love your posts that you put doc, put in Dr. Cronin at, in the beginning, in the fall when you are first signing Mattve up for classes. You're always like. Great. My spouse, my, like,
0: which one One do I put? (laughs) One of us us gets to be the mom again this year. This will be great. Well, and I think, actually, you know, a third thing I would throw in there with the sex ed is that other kids, cisgender, heterosexual kids, which is, I will give you, that is the vast majority of the classroom. They don't see these kids. And so they think that anything other than what they are is abnormal. Yeah. Or doesn't exist, yeah. and it doesn't even cross their mind that someone's being left out because you don't know what you don't know exactly um, and yeah, so, yeah exactly and which means a lot of um uninte- i mean unintended or intended harm happens to these kids
1: yeah exactly so so i think so I think that the most important thing that we as allies need to talk about is what does allyship look like and how do we then from our personal lives tie that all together okay all right and we're back and for full transparency we had to pause the recording because we needed to eat we ordered food (laughs) and so now we have full tummies and we can get back to talking about what we were talking about was the no homo promo lawsuit and How that evolved back into you jumping back into community organizing. So tell us more about that. And the role that
0: allyship played in that as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
2: So we, okay, so to kind of loop back, you know, I felt like we as a community had been working to kind of help them find plaintiffs. And then when I met with Julie, it's like we both had this aha moment where actually, like, my kids could be plaintiffs in the lawsuit. And so when we made that turn, it was like, oh, okay, like this makes sense. So I picked up the kids from school and was like, all right, we have this kind of, I want to talk to you all about something. Um, And, you know, they were excited and scared at the same time. And then I got scared, right? Going back to that moment of like, oh my God, like it makes you vulnerable towards, um, you know, the, like, yeah, to violence, right? But we had to make a decision on whether or not um, we wanted to be public or not Mm -hmm. with the suit. Um, And we decided as a family that we keep so many secrets already. Yeah. And so to, like... Not be able to talk about the lawsuit felt harder than like using pseudonyms.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, the pseudonym yeah. thing is hard because then you can't talk about it. Because right. I, um, and then where do you forget where you used your real name and your pseudonym? Because I had already left like a social media imprint somewhere. I'd already been on the news. Yeah. And so I get it. Because when I was asked to join the HRC mm-hmm. National Council, they were like, you can use a pseudonym. And I was like, you and I thought were all like, kinds of that names. that
0: door's already closed.
1: <laughs> and then I just thought that feels uncomfortable to not use yeah, my name. Yeah, and
2: then like with Santi, it was like, and then they couldn't talk about it. Right. So how do you ask a kid to like tell their story, talk to attorneys, document kind of like years of violence against them and then to be like, oh by the way, you can't tell anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, okay, we had the freedom to use their initial, uh to use their initials, um, because in any lawsuit under the age of 18, they don't use children's like legal names, right? It was just their initial. But, you know, so part of the story is that it was like, oh my God, okay, we're gonna be scared. I was like, this could go on for years. If the governor decides, you know, that they want to take this to court, like you know, we were prepared to do all of that work.
0: Mm-hmm. And then,
2: you know, <laughs> we're watching the news and...
0: So they file the lawsuit.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then what, Then you're watching the news.
2: <laughs> yeah, they file the lawsuit and what? How many days is it? It's seven. like, yeah, seven days later, we find <laughs> that the governor is like, oh, no. We're going to, like, repeal this. And so there became, like, this whole kind of celebration from, you know, the LGBTQ caucus and, like, Andres Cano and, like, our state legislatures. Um, within out, It
0: was, like, it was within like hours, hours of it becoming right? public, right? And I'm they like, repealed it. I was
2: like, we were <laughs> like,
1: oh, well wow. It literally lasted, I think, seven days uh, total from filing yeah. to...
0: To repeal of the legislation.
1: Yeah. And
2: so suddenly it was like... Everyone wanted to talk to Santi. you know, everyone like, uh, and it went from like, okay, we were all scared to like, all right, baby, here's your name, you know, Mm -hmm. like, here's a chance to
1: kind of like have a platform. Now, my question to you, because this is something that I talk a lot with my kid is when we talk about how public we are and the way that we share, um, my child's always worried about it being their identifier, right? Yeah. Because they're in middle school, much like Santi, they're in middle school as well, and that becomes who you are, right? Like, that, like, kids are very simple, it's like, oh, you're the trans kid, you're the nerdy kid, you're the, was that a worry for them? I think so, and I think it's like, how do you,
2: how do you kind of grapple with this idea that you can, like, change state policy, but yet? like nothing is changing at school or in your life or in your life. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. there's almost like a, it's almost like we were on a high and then, and then there's like the crash from that and the reality that like, you know, like what we were, we've been talking about, like I was very suspicious as to like why it went so fast, you know? And I wondered like, okay, what is the real reason behind this repeal and, and why the governor would do that, well, then we have now seen. Right.
0: So we thought, so our expectation was, when it first came through, the picture given to everyone was, this has been repealed. Now sex ed is going to be inclusive, scientifically based, age appropriate.
1: Medically accurate. Medically
0: accurate. Um,
1: and inclusive. And I guess yeah.
0: all of us saw where that went. Yeah, because what
2: happened next next is that then it goes into the hands of school boards. And what do we know, right? School boards are the fertile ground for infiltration of Family Watch International and hate groups to infiltrate school boards and then try to dictate what happens in sex ed in school Mm. boards. And we saw it. I mean, it was awful. Like what we experienced... From the repeal of No Promo Homo in, what, April, to then the kind of open forums in our school district, which is TUSD, from the beginning meetings when it was like very few people there protesting, you know, the kind of usual
1: suspects, um, Paul, I don't want Harise. to her- yeah, And I... There's a part yeah. of me that regrets speaking up at that very first initial meeting Yeah, because... Paul Parisi was there, parents were relatively silent, and and I did not spur this, right? But I think that me, this is the catch 22 about being visible and then telling people to be brave enough to be visible, right? So I get up and I'm like, you're not alone. There's hundreds of us, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden you see that they're organizing on the masses to push back on us. Yeah, And I'm not trying to say, like they could have been organizing already, but I'm sure that that just lit that fire under their bottoms to be like, there's hundreds of you, you've been hidden this whole time, right? Um, and so Absolutely. that's the crux that we live in, like how visible, we need to be visible to create real change. But then when you are visible, you get a lot of pushback. And you and I have talked about this on this podcast, right, about, like, visibility leading to massive pushback to getting a small piece of progress, right? And the pain, the growing pain of that, because it's painful. You and I sat through, what was it, 13 hours of vitriol, right? Yeah, And, and people didn't understand. Like, people would be like, well, why are you so
2: mad, you know? Why are you so mad that, like, why are you
1: surprised? Yes. And, and I like, mean, I'm not surprised. But we shouldn't be
0: okay with it.
1: But it's not okay. Because you're right?
0: attacking my child. Yeah. And I think with all, and all the parents I've seen get involved in these fights, that's really what it's been is, you know, I can take it, but don't do things to my child. Um,
1: but at the same time, me sitting as a cis heterosexual woman at a table with a lesbian woman and a gay man. Yes, you both can take it, but you've taken it for way too long. And it's time for us, all of us collectively, to join together and say, this, this type of religious bias, this type of discrimination and hate is no longer okay. Right? Like, yeah. th- 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 like they brought out all of the classics, right? There was pedophiles, Right, they they equated LGBTQI people to pedophiles. They equated it to demons. I think mm-hmm. at one point mm-hmm. we're all demons mm-hmm. with the second coming. Oh, wow. you didn't know about this? For okay.
0: okay. misgendering, um,
1: sex,
2: yes. STD. Mm-hmm. I think the only
0: new one I had heard was that talking about um, things other than cisgender and heterosexual was like letting someone drive on whatever side of the road they wanted to drive on. Um, And I was was impressed because I've heard there was the old hits that you hear over and over and over. And I heard that and I was like, I have never heard anyone say something like that. It's absolutely, positively ridiculous. The other thing, though, that I think is really important, this is where the ally stuff comes in, is we could get every single person who is directly affected by this to come to those meetings and talk. If we got all of them, it would be a big group of people. The other group would be bigger. Yeah. Because there are more of them. And that's part of being in a minority population is the other folks are bigger. And so that's where figuring out how to build the coalitions here um, and have allies come in and speak. And
1: get our parents, our cousins, our neighbors involved. I mean, I had a two hour conversation with my dad on the phone. And he did a lot of organizing for um, minority contractors, right? And small businesses as uh, he was, um, that was his thing. And so he was like, oh, you're going to get other people that are involved in your thing, right? Like how I did, I got people in my industry and that's how we created change. And I was like, yeah, but they have like skin in the game, right? They're part of that industry and it benefits Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking to you about, participating in a social movement where you actually do not benefit your grandchild benefits but you don't benefit and you're gonna be tired and you will meet people who don't like it but I can't do it without grandparents friends neighbors co-workers I need people because this is bigger than subcontracting right yeah yeah yeah. it's it's a social justice issue
0: so, and just a quick summary for people who aren't into Sun area and didn't know about this yeah. is so there was a huge fight in our large local school district over inclusive sex education, and it looked as though it was going to be passed. They've been working on a curriculum for literally years, yeah, um, a committee with a lot of experts, and instead it was tabled, and we'll come back to it in, in March. March or April or something.
2: And in the meantime, what we saw locally was the way in which um, uh, this, like, hate group infiltrated that small committee with one person, right? And so we saw the ways in which uh, Family Watch International, which has other names, right, Mm -hmm. they show up in communities all across the globe. It's an international hate group. Whose primary mission is violence against LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. And so what we saw was that they then mobilized with Four Tucson, right? Mm -hmm. A local conservative uh, movement that has chapters also, right? All over the US. And they realized oh, let's mobilize the Latino community. Mm-hmm. That's can be conservative, quote-unquote, right, stereotypically.
1: Religious, but let's go
2: to the religious Latino evangelical community in Tucson and let's fire them up. And what we learned is that these religious small churches, evangelical churches um, that had been separated united. and fighted, fighting for their own kind of congregation and money, ah, no, this united them. And it became like their, their belief is that LGBTQ people are the apocalypse. Like yeah. we have a right, you know, that is a real, and that to <laughs> me is like the scary stuff.
1: And I knew it, but I couldn't no longer like. And then we experienced it. Yeah. And at the, at the peak of all of these board meetings, yeah. There was a real clash between these evangelical Latinx churches and the parents. And Bernadette Gruber and Paul Parisi literally stood against a wall in silence and smiled yeah. as they watched other people fight. Fight their fight. Right. And so you could kind of see the manipulation. It was kind of gross. It was gross. Um, yeah. And I felt like I there was a moment. Uh,
2: at one of the meetings where I felt like I was like back at home in Laredo or in Olaredo with like all the men outside with the carnazada and then all the way, you know, just just being taken back to like um, my own conservative family and my own like internalized homophobia that I had as a kid mm-hmm and i felt like it hurt absolutely to mm-hmm. like listen to the hate in spanish and then see it see the the those children yeah you know those young like latino kids who are like you know but what if that's my friends name? and my family and it could have been me mm-hmm. and and it just like that was like heartbreaking So let's
1: talk about that because you and I have had a lot of personal conversations mm -hmm, about that. mm -hmm. Um, And so, what tell us like a little bit about you as a young girl in (laughs) Laredo. I mean, you just did, but like, what was coming out like for you? What was living probably in hiding? Well, I mean, I often tell people that the reason why I
2: like am so drawn to children's literature is, you know, or young adult literature is that like kids need opportunities to see themselves, mm-hmm. right? In books, on TV, in curriculum. I mean, what do we know is that they, we don't. And so I think back to like, do you know seven-year-old Carol in, you know, at the time I was living like in Laredo and I wish that I had seen, uh, represented like, represented like, I don't know. Like, what would it be like to to have access and to see, like, a girl having a crush on another girl? Right. Mm-hmm. What if I had read that? What if I had known that? What if I didn't have shame around that? Right. Like, what would that have done to my childhood and to my growing up? Right. Uh, and and to what felt like, quote unquote, normal or, you know, not that we want normals, but, but the way in which there's so much stigma around queerness,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, especially in Latinx culture. Yeah. Or
2: everywhere. I mean, you know, it's like, there's this, this kind of like, you want to not be different. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And like, I'm someone who then, you know, got hetero married. Right. Mm And, uh, I don't want to talk go into that, part <laughs> right no, that's
1: okay. yeah whatever um, you but I did but
2: I I often say that it's because I I too like had to grapple with my own internalized kind of like queer phobia mm-hmm. and and it took me years to kind of think about my own like feminist and queerness and desire mm-hmm. you know and 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 I often say that you know, after I got divorced and like fully came out, because I, you know, people assume that I was bisexual, and um, because I was married, and I'm like, no, I'm not really <laughs> That's... But you know, no, but not that i not that that I want to like talk. You know, not I don't want to come across as being biphobic at all. Right?
1: We know. No, like, yeah, that just wasn't your own... experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your yeah. experience is that you <laughs> were trying to live a cis heterosexual life. And so you made decisions based on that, right? Yeah, I did. And it almost killed me. Yeah. You know? And so by the time that I, um, you know,
2: divorced, I was, what? I was like 37 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, I think about like our queer youth and babies and teens, you know what I mean? And like, and younger people. And I'm like, I you know, for whatever, for lots of complicated reasons, like denied myself parts of myself. Yeah. yeah. And so by the time that I did fully come out, I had to be like, I had to take really strong stances with my family. Um, I applied for another job because I faced like homophobia at work uh, in a, you know, in, in my community. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved to Tucson, I had already, like, cut ties just based on my sexuality, right? And so when Santi like, came out as non-binary and trans, by that time, which was, what, maybe, like, four years ago, Mm -hmm. I had already done the work for myself to be, like, this is how... This is who is going to have access to our lives, family or not family. And for Latino, like for me, for Mexicanos, it's like la familia es todo. Yeah. Right? And so it was like, I'm going to betray my family for myself. But I didn't know that it was like me building up my own armor that I was going to need to like be part of a larger like trans community.
1: I think too, like... I met Carol at Camp Born This Way. Mm-hmm. And we were one of maybe four brown faces in that space. Um, and we clicked uh, immediately. Instant. <laughs> and so I think what people don't understand is that in from our backgrounds, I lost family too. And the year that I was at camp, what well, I call it my year of rage, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I was really mad at our family. I was yeah. really mad at our family for for pushing us away, for not accepting my child. And that's something that Carol and I talked a lot about. And throughout the years that we've um, built our friendship, I think what people who um, do not have trans children, because there's so much more. I mean when you have trans, trans non-binary children, there's so much more you have to consider, right? Mm -hmm. Um, in, In terms of like their needs. And one day Carol and I were on the phone and we had this like deep conversation about if I died tomorrow, I don't know who would be safe enough to care for my kid, right? Who would make sure that they're going to Dr. Cronin for medical care? (laughs) yeah um who would make sure that they're being advocated for at school so that they can use the bathroom and have access to sports right and we had like this emotional moment where it was like if i die tomorrow you have to promise me Mm -hmm. that you are going to take care of my baby that you're like if chewy's alive my husband jose if if he's alive you're gonna like be on his bottom And, like, push, push, push to make sure that my kid gets access. If Jose and I both die, you have to promise me that you're going to, like, be there for Daniel. Because I don't know if my parents would have the wherewithal to even know how to advocate and ensure that he was getting the things that he needed. And you made me promise the same. Yes. I'm like, promise me the same thing. Yeah. And we, it was like, literally, it was like a blood promise over the phone. Like, I promise you, I give my soul to make this promise with you. And I feel like and I was facilitating um, group recently and another family mentioned that, like, I don't know who would have my child if we died tomorrow. Right. And this idea of how do we build coalitions of chosen family to love our children as hard as we do. We think about it all the time. Yeah. And so this idea of losing family to be able to live freely has so many ramifications it's not even just losing family and then you just move on with your life there's so many things that cis heteronormative people don't even consider like when they write wills and when they talk about next steps for their children should crisis or should tragedy befall you right and so i think that these are real conversations that we face all the time and sharing them. So not only are we angry when we have to face hate groups that tell us we're demons and horrible and, you know, what was it that was indoctrinating our kids, but then we're having like real day to day, like worries about family life and love. Right. And I think like,
2: you know, if we think of where we were then and where we are now, like, our families have come a really long way. Mm-hmm. So, when people are like, people aren't going to change, I'm like, actually,
1: they do. Your mom and I are yeah, friends on Facebook. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think <laughs> about my mother, who will die if I say her age, but I think about my, you know, my mom, you know, and the and the ways in which, like, and our, and a lot, and, and Santi's other grandmother, and Santi's tia's, and my dad, right? Like, my white conservative republican father who in the last year is someone who hasn't gotten santi's pronouns wrong Mm -hmm. and says hun right Mm -hmm. like and so those small moments you know going back to the to those to those heated meetings in TUSD, i'm like but this isn't my mexican family yeah this isn't my fronteriza family because actually We, we, we do come through
1: Yeah,
2: and we're going to fight the fight. We're going to, maybe it's that we're like not going to be cordial and sit in silence and just not talk about it. It's that we're going to say, actually, these are the ways that I need you to stand up for me Mm -hmm. and show up for me. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to do that, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. And sometimes it takes years. And so I think like some, sometimes the, you know, parent group is hard for me because I'm like, I already... If you're not, if you continuously put your child in a family situation in which they're going to experience violence, like you're doing them harm.
1: Yeah.
2: You know? And so it's like a thick, like you develop a, I don't know, a very, very thick skin. Yeah. uh, To like, you know, I don't like the word tolerance.
1: I hate the word tolerance and I hate the word Can we acceptance. change all that? It's like, can we, you know, and I'm wanna, like don't, I don't fucking be around t- people. Sorry, don't
2: tolerate me. Yeah, you know. Know. We can't edit the words. I'm sorry. That's okay. i That's still got cool. words
1: I'm here. No, who but, wants to be tolerated? That sounds yeah. horrible. Yeah. Who wants to be just accepted? Like and I, that sounds awful. And you think, exist. Regardless. Same, so so
2: it's like I love that this show is about allyship. And I think that we need to think about allyship and uh, as a verb. Mm-hmm. And connected to action, right? And there's some work, you know, like in education coming out around like co-conspirators. What does it mean to to actually like co-conspire with me and with us and with a coalition that, you know, crosses, you know, it, like in a place like Tucson, right? That That we're on native land, that we're 70 miles from the border, that we... That a lot of our community is undocumented, yeah. that we're migrants, that there are children detained, like right here. Like, yeah. who are our most vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? And then, what do we do collectively to like have some sort of change, something? Mm-hmm. And and I and I am at a point where I think I said at the beginning of before we got started is like I'm just like. I'm in a bad mood, you know, I'm angry, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And like, what is the role of an ally? It's almost like it's not enough.
0: Yeah.
2: Because even though you tell us that Drew and I have done more, you're also a parent of a trans kid. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking for like my friends and my peers and teachers and educators and doctors who actually, you know, work with predominantly you know cis straight people Mm -hmm. right
1: like they're the ones who I'm turning to but yeah it's hard to build those bridges if they and I've talked about this before like people get stuck on the way to empathy right like they want to know how they relate and how it it appeals to them and some of this work is not going to be for you but for the person next to you, right allyship unless
0: allyship you think problems. of it in a bigger like yes it's good for society and what's good for society is good for me, but no, a lot of this doesn't have a direct benefit Mm-mm. if you're an ally helping. Um, mm-hmm. One thing listening to you I mean I it, it had never crossed my mind that, that we've had my husband and I obviously have had the discussion of what happens to our son if something happens to us and that is such an incredibly hard discussion to have. Mm-hmm. And we have a white, cisgender, heterosexual, male, athletic boy. <laughs> um, and it was an incredibly difficult discussion about where does he go and what happens. And I, it had never occurred to me, this sort of thing. And I'm wondering if one thing, just a small step that some of those allies could take, is if you're friends with a parent of someone who's trans, is say to the parent, hey, if anything ever happens to you, I will keep fighting for your kid." Um, and maybe that will lead to the next step of actually coming out and fighting side by side now while you're still around. Because I think all of us would rather have things happen while we're still around yeah. than after we Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm also, I'm curious because something I see with a lot of, and I, my patient population, primarily Spanish speaking um, and primarily um, lower socioeconomic status um, who I work with, I see when they come in with um, trans kids, or actually kids who are different in yeah. any way, there's this dueling sides of I want my kid to have every advantage they possibly can, and so I don't, this thing scares me. Yes. And I'm gonna fight it in them. And then the other side is the side saying, I support Mikey at 100, percent and I will do everything to fight for them. Mm-hmm. And from what I'm hearing, it almost sounds—I like, mean, it almost sounds like one side is that side of like I'm going to tamp down what's different—is part of this being part of the you know overall culture that's you know colonialized and that's around them and, and repressed. And I'm yeah, and I'm yeah. really wondering what you think about—is is that accurate that there's these two sides in a lot of families?
1: I see that. I see that being the number one motivator and it's a, it's a dual coin, right? I think people deal with fear either by saying, I'm going to stop the thing that scares me or I'm going to acknowledge and fight the thing that, that scares me because every family I speak to says I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and that's what my family has said to me.
2: I mean, I, and I, you know, I'm afraid. Yeah. Right. But I, what I'm realizing is like, not only am I, am I afraid for my own kid, I'm a, I'm more afraid for people who are so much more vulnerable than the affordances that I can give my family. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, I think part of the conversations that we've been having is like one coming in to recognize my own like cis privilege. Right. And all the things, all the blind spots you know, that I had Um, and then recognizing like that, okay, so I can be this fierce mom advocate for like my two kids, right? I mean, I'm a university professor that uh, is a citizen, Mm -hmm. you know, because I was born at a time where, yeah, you could cross the border and be born on this side, you know, as a border baby. Um, But what if I wasn't, you know? I, what right? And I what about all this. of our young trans kids and, and and trans adults who like are so vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah. that they don't have access to healthcare and they don't have a family that's supportive and like I feel like that's that's where
1: I want to think about and take my work. Yeah. So I I, I don't share this story with openly, but I'm going to share it here. But my husband came when he was nine. Yeah. And he'd been sitting through the system forever. Like his dad had um, petitioned for him. And for people who don't know, countries are ranked. So depending on the country you come from, that's how quickly you get processed. So Mexico is ranked very low because there's so many people coming. Um, So my husband um, became a citizen almost three years ago. And we were terrified to put my child's name change through until he became a citizen because we didn't know what that would mean what if he encountered somebody that was biased and got and got to see my child's name change petition and was like we're not going to grant them it could have been any kind of variable right and so we waited we waited until my husband got his citizenship and was sworn in before we went and did name changes for daniel and daniel just thought we were waiting just to be pains in the butts but really it was like no we have to. to do this thing first. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think people don't realize that when you hit intersections, it's a lot more complicated yeah, and a lot more fear driven because the stakes are higher. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and,
2: you know, and I would say, you know, on the flip side to that is that you know we know that for, like for us who like have family in mexico right like mm-hmm. we know that mexico city is like the second most dangerous place for trans people right now but mm-hmm. we also see if we turn to mexico and look at the kind of trans protections yeah. yes and the legislation coming around yes oh, it's it's amazing yeah you know and so it's like how can we Create policy. Yeah, and flip it. And so, part of going back to this, what was hard about like seeing this duality or these pieces in the TUSD meetings that were like in Spanish and hate driven, it was also like, but this is not us. Yeah. You know? And so,
1: how do we like keep pushing against like. It's so interesting that you say that because I was listening. So, uh, for those of you who use streaming services, Title right now has all of Martin Luther King's speeches mm-hmm. in a station, so you can listen to them. Oh. And I was listening to one of his speeches and he was saying that the only way to create change is through education, the education of communities. He said, but that doesn't mean that we that we do not need to create policy to protect those that are disadvantaged, right? To make punitive, hateful behavior. And that's actually what you're talking about. But right now what we're facing is policy that would be punitive against marginalized people. Yeah. And so how do we counteract that with policy that would be inclusive, that would make the world a little bit safer for trans youth and their families? Uh-huh. Because we see them... I, I've gotten so many messages this week from families that are like, I'm so terrified, I'm frozen. I don't even know how to tackle this. I don't want to go on social media. And then we lose allyship in that, right? In that freezing because it's terrifying. And every day, I
2: mean, the news is every single day, Colorado, right? I mean, like every single day, there's a new piece of legislation that's going to be introduced and they're all connected. Yes. Yeah. We know, we we know like who's doing this work, but mm-hmm. how do we stay
1: vigilant? And how do we be effective fighting back? Yeah. yeah. I know you and i have these deep conversations all the time
0: <laughs> i'm wondering as parents i had i remember vividly the night before actually i had gone through court already to adopt my son but it was the night before i was going to get custody of him and sitting there and i couldn't sleep because i had suddenly realized you're not allowed to act out of fear anymore was a specific memory i have what and thinking you have to fight for him, even if you're terrified. Mm-hmm. And I'm wait. Did you all go through that with your kids at mm-hmm. all? When it's like you can't. It's something bigger than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it is. And it is terrifying sometimes because, especially if you've got a certain level of privilege that you're going to lose mm-hmm. um, by by coming out there and fighting, uh, which is a, it. It's really difficult to do. Um, but. then you look at actually and I hear this a lot like gosh it must be so hard doing that I'm like the truth is though if I look at who we're fighting for it's it's way harder for them yeah way harder for them I mean I can't imagine what it's like to be kids nowadays hearing themselves mentioned in the news about you know you shouldn't be allowed to use a bathroom it should be illegal for you to transition Um,
2: do you like I Santi doesn't read all of that like I I mean I don't you know or I try to protect them on some level Mm -hmm. from the kind of but you know they get access to it on Instagram and YouTube and like they the kids are having this conversation Yeah. yeah so it's like how do we help facilitate that those conversations and what I have found is that we don't facilitate these
1: conversations in schools yes yeah
2: and that's where like to kind of link back to my work with schools and in curriculum it's like how do we help kids our kids their friends like have conversations about gender and climate change and, you know what I mean like everything that that is at the kind of like crux of their existence existence and their own like disillusionment and crisis that they see in the world and protect them on a certain level. Like let them be kids
0: for a certain amount of time.
2: But also acknowledging that, you know, kids are already having this conversation. So how do we help
1: them have them? Yeah. And how do we not shy away from that? You know, I always have to do check-ins. I think what people don't realize is that when you get thrown into advocacy, it requires so much time that that is time taken away from my family and my child. Yeah. And I recognize that a lot of the decisions and a lot of the things that I do now won't benefit Daniel. They'll benefit other children that follow. And so I have to do check-ins. Like, does it upset you that mom is gone? Uh, Does it upset you that I spend a lot of time on the phone with, I started uh, before he thought I was ignoring him. And so I started putting things on speaker, not to break confidentiality, but I wanted him to understand that there was like work. I wasn't just on the phone with families. Yeah. I wasn't just on the phone with mom A, I was having a conversation about how to process something or how to deal with the schools. And uh, him hearing other people's experiences because he's he is safe in a safe school district and shielded, opened up an awareness of, okay, there's actually things that need to happen. and. And there's ways in which I'm lucky, right? And I think that's important for them to see that. Yeah. Um, To understand that, yes, you are are safe, but there are people that are not safe. And I don't allow him to be on Facebook because I find that all of the news is like funneled there. Yeah. Where like Instagram is just a little bit better.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's more cats.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Talk to us about your work. Like you right now are doing a sala de libros. Talk to us about that.
0: Which translates as...
2: Like, so in Mexico, there's a program called Sala de Lectura, which is like a living room for reading. So a sala is like literally a living room. Awesome. And it's a program that has been in Mexico for like 25 years. Mm -hmm. It is funded by the federal government and well, it used to be. Um, But to contextualize it, like I've just been thinking a lot and for a very long time about like what crosses the border and what doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, especially around, you know, as a, as someone who like grew up on the border and like had access to crossing, um, in a way that actually we can't do right now as Mm -hmm. a family without a new birth certificate. Right. So that has shifted things too. Mm -hmm. Um, but we often like, we, meaning, like, our Eurocentric, like, U.S.-American school system, right, that, like, is really an English-only space, like, we don't turn to Mexico and think about Mexico as a place where there's, like, uh, like smart, in-depth, like, reading and literacy that is outside of school. Like, we don't imagine Mexico as that place. Yeah. Um, Mexico in our U.S. imagination is, you know especially right now. I don't have to repeat. Yeah, please don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we all have yeah. heard it. And so part of this project for me has been like, what is it that I can learn? like, And what am I learning from Mexico? And what can I bring here? And one is like meeting this amazing like mediador de literacy who's been running a sala out of his house um, for 15 years. Where community gathers to talk about books, like that's intergenerational, and he is a gay Mexican man mm-hmm. who has been doing drag story time in Mexico City for like ten years. <laughs> you know so to me, it's like you know we yeah, so it's about how do we bring some of that like into Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started the first sala as an LGBTQ sala, which is basically like, I have a mobile book, uh, collection of about a hundred books that are children to adult, um, with the idea that came out again from those TUSD meetings, which was like, how can we, if schools are not having these conversations, like how can we have conversations with adults and kids about queer stuff? Um, cause we're not having them mm-hmm. and there's so much lack of information and not only like the informative part, but then just kind of like seeing yourself in story.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, mm-hmm. like who has access to see themselves in stories? Mm-hmm. Our kids don't, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a small little thing that I feel like, uh, that I can do
1: well people don't understand how important movies are and books are right to our development like in the 90s I think the movies that were about X people were gang related mm-hmm. right and so like it like are we only gang members in LA no like and I always talk about this I wish that there were like. I wish that there was other types of representation that existed around brown people, around um, queerness, right? Around people existing in all facets of the world. Yeah, all because kinds of family. we're told that we have to be a very specific way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And also to have those characteristics as tangential and not the main storyline.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is that what I've learned is that like reading in the US is like and is tied to capitalism. And so mm-hmm. it's like this idea. So so we have other reading promotion programs in Tucson. The, my program is not a reading promo like the reason I say that out loud is because we as teachers and schools and like particular like literacy books, I mean literacy clubs view communities from deficit perspective. So they think we're going to take in books to this community and we're going to change this community and that's based on this idea that we're going to teach young, poor, brown people how to read and write so that they can go to school and then they can get better jobs and it's all tied to money and a capitalistic system. Right. Right? Like, that's pretty like 101. Right. So how do we do something different? So it's not that like our communities aren't, we're reading. Right. You know? Right. We're talking. We're, like, in deep conversation about, like, really hard things. Yeah. We just live in a culture in the U.S. that is, like, so lacking in community spaces. Mm -hmm. So, like, the more work I do in Mexico, now as an adult, I come home and I'm, like, sad in a way. It's, like...
1: Don't you love that, though? Like, not love that, but... Because you're talking about, like... Cultural sharing and someone who grew up 45 minutes from the border and would drive often across to go. Like during the summers, I would go stay two weeks in Nogales, Sonora. Yeah, that's what I would do. I would stay in Olaredo. Yeah, I would go stay with my tia and my cousin. And then for two weeks, my cousin would come stay up here. And so I got to go, like, you would just be part of family. Like, oh, my prima from you know, USA, right, is coming to stay with me. And I got to have like this very fun experience. And people don't realize like cultural sharing expands you in such a way that is beautiful. It's life changing to have to be able to straddle two cultures. Right. And then when you come back here, you also realize that that straddling of two cultures means you don't fit. Right. Because um, you're not you're not American enough, Mm -hmm. but you're also not you know Mexican enough but you share these two very vibrant cultures well one yeah, vibrant and, I, and...
2: and we also live like you know I live a very like in a way isolated life mm-hmm. you know like an American life yeah and so where do we find community spaces so kind of going back to like where are we gonna take this community mobilizing that we're doing yeah. right like how do we find like pockets where we can coalition build and just kind of be in community spaces yeah you know where are those spaces in tucson they have been
1: right
2: erased right and so there's places now that people are like you know trying to do that so how do we you know how are we going to do that together like beyond our parent group um beyond the ways that
1: we work that we exist in all these silos right right um it's hard but human connection is necessary. Yeah. On like a subconscious level. Like we know that human connection is necessary for people. Mm-hmm. And it's layered, right? In terms of, I, I don't know the answer. It keeps me up at night. I, I, I think I told you I that know. I woke my spouse up at three in the morning and I forced him to listen to me spiral for two hours about how to connect these rowboats that are getting smacked by large waves, And I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. I don't know.
2: I don't know either.
1: It was the night you and I talked at like 11 o'clock at night. I know. It's like, so deprimida right now. I'm like, oh my God. You were like, get some sleep. And then at three in the morning, I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know what to do with all my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? It's big, I know. This is
0: big. This is big. You know, one thing I'm going to say that I've learned from my white American perspective is it's not enough either as a person or as a group to invite people into your space. What's really important if you're coming from a place of more privilege is to go to other people's spaces and listen. Not talk, not give ideas, which is really hard for me to do because I have always been told how special I am (laughs) and how I should be doing that. But listening to what people say and learning what's going on and just being there um, and it can feel really uncomfortable. And there have been times I've gone into spaces where I've been the white guy there um, and I it feels uncomfortable. Probably. In a similar way to it feels to be the only brown face in a room, Um, there and and I draw the only and it's totally different experiences and I don't draw an equivalent. There are a lot of situations I go into where I'm like, wow, I feel super gay right now. I have never felt this gay in my life, Um, like if I'm at a football game or, you know, I've gone to friends like Super Bowl parties and I'm like, wow, I feel really, really gay right now. You're so Um, cute. But I like the fact that then those people come into our spaces and like, are like, yeah, your family is worried about the same things we are. When our kids get a good education, want to make sure we can pay the mortgage, we, you know, and that's what our space is. And then going out and realizing like, wow, so those things compared to what some other people are trying to fight for is even harder to do. And they have all the things we're worried about. Um, and so it just, I don't know. I, listening to, I, I'm i loving listening to this. <laughs> I know. its I, I hate to end
1: this episode on an I don't know. Right? I'm like, Carol, you're going to stay longer and we're going to solve it. <laughs> but I think we've been trying to solve it for like. Ever. I see yeah. you rubbing your temples. I know. Well, because it's I like, just think, like, what, where, spinning.
2: well, and it's like, where do we, what are we going to do? What do you imagine is your most pressing kind of, like, community organizing and activism, if that's what we want to call it, that will come out of 2020? Where are you going <sighs> to put that in? We're gonna
1: we, We're going to, we're going to we do a part two, because this is going to end soon, (laughs) (laughs) and we're going to have to keep going. I don't know. What are your... Let me hear yours first. We haven't... What's interesting is that I think that um, October came, and my stepfather passed away. Yeah. And then we hit the holidays, and I think... In a nonverbal way, you and I were like, and we're out, right? Um, for a minute, for a minute, for a solid two and a half months. Yeah, and it was beautifully quiet. Yeah, and I took that for granted that that quiet was planning from the other side, right? Because we all this week we've been bombarded with news about very similar bills that are written by like three little think tanks. Yeah were scooped up by senators and put out to process right um and so i was like i have time to regroup and i have time but i also feel like i didn't have a i I didn't have clarity of what that would look like and i don't know if i have clarity now do you have clarity for what you want for 2020
2: no. I mean, I, I want to get tenure. So to me, it was part of my was my <laughs> idea
0: you know? And I did it at a
2: time where I was like, I'm still going to be critical of my administration. I'm still going to, you know, like... Resist, resist. Yeah, lead a out, uh, You know, and so make, So, but what will? I don't know what's gonna happen when the family life curriculum stuff ends up back at the board meetings. I don't know yet. Like that's what, what people don't wanna,
1: understand. Like yeah. I think they think that we're advocates professionally, and I just need you to know we have we have careers, <laughs> like families. We have careers and families. So I'm and, and, <laughs> and working twelve hours more people a day to
2: help plan, direct action. Yeah. To, be, to me, that's it. It's like, how do we find more co-conspirators yeah. who are willing to like do the work on the ground? Which is like, go buy the tape that you're going to put over your mouth. Go and get water for people who um, might be at a protest all night. Be willing to get arrested.
1: Like, have the bank funds. <sighs> that arrest. was hard for me. I know. I've told I Carol know. 32 million times, I'm terrified to be arrested. I'm so scared as a Brown person to be arrested is like, not okay. Like it's not safe. It's a black mark against your soul. But
2: I feel like (laughs) what we've learned, I mean, yeah. I mean, what we're learning too is like, it's, it's, you can do direct actions without it going, without getting arrested. Oh my God, I'm I gotta mean, be brave I, about that. I mean, you know, I get, I'm so you,
1: so scared of that. Like, sorry, I'm not so saying, that is not thing. what I no, want but, for 2020. But you, well, we were planning direct yeah, action. My thing for 2020 <laughs> is to actually
0: get arrested. No! no. no. My, I gotta tell you not that not I what, hear, Drew, when I hear what. you saying this, and you talk oh. about your fear, yeah, I'm is so if scared. we're in a situation where I can step in front of you and be the white guy getting arrested, I'll do that like the
1: environmentalists that would shackle themselves I was like why are you getting arrested I'm so scared Uh but that's just my own fear right like about like what it means to be a brown person in jail yeah yeah and like just chair. Yeah. Ter- I've had nightmares about it because, like, I remember we were talking. And you're like, if we get arrested, we get arrested. And I was like, oh shit, all my fears <laughs> have boiled over. And then one day I had to be Pero like, being chingona? I don't want to get arrested either. I know. And then you one day know? I was like, Carol, I'm so afraid of being arrested. And she's like, me too, it's okay. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I can be vulnerable and I can share this very real fear about what that means to me. Like, that would be, and I think too, because like immigrants come here. And you know, for all intents and purposes, my parents are immigrants, but they came when they were really small. And there's that they they we buy into the American dream and that American dream is is it's a meritocracy, right? Like you're gonna work real hard, you're never gonna you're never gonna break the law, right? Like you're gonna work really hard, you're gonna do all the right things, and the payoff will be there for you. So there's like this very real fear of like doing things that would get you in trouble. And I think that that, too, is, like, what they call, like, post-generational trauma Mm -hmm. of, like, if you get in trouble, you get deported. Oh, yeah? Right? So, like, it comes a little bit with needing to meet the merits that would make you valid to stay here, but also with this deep understanding that if you got in trouble as a brown person, you could very easily, even if you were born here and a citizen, you could very easily get deported. Right? Yeah. And so I think that there's, like, this, like, past generational trauma that gets like injected into you that I'm grappling with. And I think for me, like it, it got to a point where I'm like, I I don't,
2: I don't buy it anymore. Yeah. At some point I bought it. At some point I believed I can be a first generation Chicana and get a degree and go to college and become a university professor. And somehow like that is going to shift my life.
0: It will protect you.
2: Yeah, and really, it hasn't. It has afforded me particular things, but I no longer have loyalty to an institution. Yeah. Because all of these institutions and all of our schools will dehumanize us in a moment. And so if we can remove our fear yeah. and recognize that actually, you know, because of my citizenship, You know, I, I have certain privileges, but I might, if I lose my job, I can get another job, uh, anywhere. Right. That's a privilege that I have. And so then it's my responsibility to take a stance because I have less to lose. And so I'm looking for more people who have less to lose, who will stand up Yeah. because it takes that and to have a little bit of fun while we're doing it. Right. (laughs) Like, it's also like, all right, let's shake it up. You know, in one of the direct actions that we did on campus in the spring around the Border Patrol stuff, and we started to disrupt a meeting, and we look around, and we're like, oh, they're going to let us play this game. So let's play the game. And the same thing with the walkout. It was like, Mm -hmm.
1: all right, we have this opportunity. Let's talk about the walkout. Let's stop here, (laughs) and then if there's time, we don't have to do a whole other hour, but let's talk about the walkout and shaking it up as allies and... Being brave, right? So we're going to stop here and okay. we're going to continue. We'll be right back.
0: Here we are on part, the beginning of part two. Um, So, you know, something when I was listening to this is the feeling of insecurity and the, if you do enough, you will have a wall of privilege, is I think, from my point of view, you know, my Mayflower family. um, I love that you
1: can track your family
0: to the Mayflower. (laughs) We've talked about this. So, yeah, Mayflower family. My grandmother
1: was carried up from somewhere in southern Mexico ah, ah, in a potato ah, sack ah, and nobody ah, tracked ah, where. But ah, you can track to the Mayflower, which blows my mind.
0: So... For a lot of us, we hear stories like this, and I have to say, if I had not heard enough of them, if I had not seen it growing up in families around me, I probably wouldn't have had a good idea of what it is. But for people who don't have these experiences, don't have people around them, one thing I would point out is in the last week, if you were from an Iranian American family, and I know they did the same thing, they want respectability and they've built up, I mean, there's are shahs of sunset. Yes. You have Persians on Bravo talking about their lives, have built up this level of protection and respectability. And they were being stopped at the border, even though they were American citizens mm-hmm. and being held in rooms for hours on their own. Mm-hmm. And that was last week. Yeah. This isn't something from a year ago or from the 60s. It is last week. And that move there terrifies Every not just immigrant family, but first generation, second generation families, because they know there's something in the structure of our system here that um, doesn't recognize them as really American. Yeah. Um, And so I just I wanted to put that in perspective for people for something to think about. Um,
1: and, and as somebody who experiences it, because I had a deep conversation with somebody about this, they were like, I don't like the word white passing that I was speaking to somebody uh, who was African American, lighter yeah. skin, and they have their experience about what white passing is. Yeah. And I, and I was like, oh, I always talk to my son about how the fact that he is a white passing Latinx person. Um... And because my brownness, I carry everywhere. Even though I'm like racially ambiguous, like people can't like be like, well, what kind of brown person is she? I'm brown, right? And um, and so when you say that, when your bridge that you just, it, like I can feel that pain because I always lived there, right? Of like, where are you? Like, where are you from? No,
0: where are you really from?
1: Where are you from? <laughs> yeah. What are you? Um, and, and I would always be like, from here. And they would say, no, no, but like, but really, where? But like
0: where are you like really Tucson?
1: From? And I where like, are your parents from? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And so it is, it's painful. It's painful. Um, and I think that the only reference people have about that is in the Selena movie when, with J-Lo. <laughs> no. And, 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 and Edward James almost says, ni de aquí ni de allá. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the only reference, not from here and not from there. And that's the only real reference people can say, oh, yeah, I saw that in the Selena movie. I've had so many people tell me that. And I'm like, yes, see that part in the Selena movie. That's my lived experience. Yeah. Um, And so I think that that was, again, why movies are important, right? Why books are important to to understand other people's experiences because we are inundated with media yeah. all the time, and I appreciate you like
2: bringing it, bringing in like what's happening in Iran, right? If we think about like a, like our, a, I don't know, you know, the attacks against so many people, mm-hmm. um, we ha- that's part of our coalition building, mm-hmm. you know, that has to be part of it, like mm-hmm. understanding that. Um, that we can't just think about like what is affecting our own community, but yeah. like all the ways in which, you know, our government is uh, creating and doing atrocities right across mm-hmm. the world. Uh, and so, how do we like? I don't know. How do we how do we grapple with that on the day to day, and how do we like um, not fall into like. A depressive state or like a rage state or a frozen state. I mean, I get it, you know, that people freeze and they don't know what to do. Um, But then how do we like work together? Not because I believe that we're going to ever be in utopia, you know, Uh, but how can we imagine something different?
0: Yeah. Well, and I think one thing you did expertly with this is during the family life curriculum, sex ed fight, um, you brought fun into it <laughs> so that people could go out because it was brutal. Yeah. It was absolutely yeah. <laughs> brutal for all of us, for us to hear things that we whether we've heard them or not before, it still takes its toll Um and I remember at one of the meetings, you said, we need a band outside. We need to have music because music will be fun. Um, and I think one of the inspiring things, and actually this will bring us back to the wa- what we did with the walkout. Yeah. So just to set the frame for people, there was a series of ever-increasing size meetings with more and more resistance at them over a period of about a month, right? Mm-hmm. Was it really that short? It felt like it was years. No longer. It was yeah. longer than that? Okay. It was like a month and a half. It, there were, we it was had not that July, that
2: August, September. No, what, but you're right. It wasn't it that It wasn't
0: long. that long. And it got to a point at one meeting where people were feeling just dehumanized and destroyed and depressed. And that was when... Um, you brought up the idea of we do not need to participate in our own abuse. degradation, abuse. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about... So tell tell us about what happened because that was... I mean, we
1: were here. So, so We
0: were in this apartment. <laughs>
1: so I always joke around with Carol that um, to get her out of her house is difficult. And so we had met... <laughs> And she's like, "I don't think we should meet anymore. Like, I just I don't want to go to these meetings. It I'm done." And I was like, "No." <laughs> I know. Thank we're you. We're going to go to this. So, I was like, "We're going to have breakfast at my house." And it was you, Drew, it was Carol, I, and like there was I think a total of seven moms and a doctor. Yeah. And um and we sat here and what do we do like what is this direct and i i had drafted the beginning parts of a letter mm-hmm. that was going to be from our parent community mm-hmm. and i it was echoing i i had said honestly like we shouldn't have to take this and then carol was like yeah we shouldn't have to take this and we shouldn't have to participate which really angered the other side they were like why can i not abuse you right why am i when we when we after the walkout, a lot of them were angry and said, "We're disappointed that you do not want to listen to what we have to say. No, it's abusive. It's abusive. It's religious bias and we need to we need to call it by its name. I think people the saying of everyone is entitled to their opinions is no longer valid. It's no. destructive. Yeah. We need to talk about religious bias and the way that bias and discrimination has been cloaked behind the Bible for thousands of years to discriminate and harm people.
0: Um, but that's a and whole then, other rant. So we, had ta- and so we decided we weren't going to participate.
1: Right. We just said, no, we're not going to do this. And actually, it was
0: you who yeah. said
1: it. You said, what if we walk out?
0: And I remember it was there was kind of a like... <gasps> What? (laughs) What? But then they'll be talking about us. And And you're like, like, they're going to be talking about us.
2: (laughs) And I'm like, let's disrupt this. Let's do something that like says, we're not going to take this anymore. Yes. And let's have a little bit of fun while we're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know? And I'm glad that we did that.
0: Well, the picture in my head, there were eight of us here is that there would be this room, which how many, that room had like 350 seats or something mm-hmm. crazy, mm-hmm. is that it, it would be full and the seven of us would walk out and people would be like, what's going on? Who are those people walking out? And it would be the seven of us and we'd walk out and that would be it and it would be totally ineffective. I was like, but I am going to follow you on this one because I'm just going to, I'm going to listen. I need, <laughs> I, and I think this is what's really important is that you don't need a lot of people.
1: Mm-mm. As an ally, you don't need a lot of people to organize something wow. like this. There were eight of us. We had maybe $150. We bought <laughs> white t-shirts. Somebody bought paint. Stencils. And stencils. <laughs> and we made like 75 t-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. And people who didn't get these t-shirts, mm-hmm. or I think we it was 100 t-shirts. Yeah, and we it just spread the like, word with minimal detail yeah, about just, what to do. And then low-key, we are walking out. We're going to do this thing. And... I had drafted part of a letter and hit a wall and five other hands came in and fixed this letter and made it even more. And then it was like, okay, here's what we're doing. And we're going to walk out. And 200 people walked out
0: Carol. Carol got up and read the statement. (laughs) And I hadn't even told people we were walking out. I said to the people I had invited, which included a priest who I knew and people from organizations, I was like, something's going to happen. Just follow, and they were like, "All right," and I was like, "They're never gonna do it. They're not gonna follow."
1: <laughs> so Carol read this impassioned speech, and I stood behind her because you were You're scared. Next to me,
2: yeah, I and was. I
1: was like, "I got you, girl." Yeah, um, but and it was beautiful.
2: It was, and I think it, it was. And I wish that we didn't have to like think about what we have to do next. Yeah. You know, because we have this moment, we walk out, we all rally outside, and people are coming up to me like, oh, but there's still people inside listening to the hate speech, and you abandoned us inside. Yeah. And I'm like, no, we decided that we're not going to participate in that any longer. Yeah. And the board, you know, unfortunately... Like a loud allowed for an unsafe environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I wish I could say that the next meeting was better, but it peaked. It's almost like oh, then it, worse. it got, like things got worse. Yeah. And
0: so. Because we poked the tiger by saying we're not participating with you anymore. Yeah. This is
1: but what I will not say a though, system. is that we had a child from the oh. opposing side come out.
0: That moment. Yeah.
1: Come out and tell us, thank you for doing this. My parents are sitting inside. I've told them I'm going to the bathroom, but I am non-binary. And seeing you do this gives me strength. Yeah. Yeah. And then they went and sat back with their parents and sat through four hours that was the of hateful commentary. Was
2: too- so, I mean, I ha- I do have hope in the new board, in our new board president crystal foster like i can imagine that things are going to go different uh on the other hand like again going back like i don't i'm not i'm i'm disillusioned in a way so i think there's a freedom in that disillusionment of like well then let's let's push the boundaries let's have fun let's take queer cake i think in the next meeting we're like well we bought rainbow cake Oh, my gosh. And
1: uh, everyone just can have some. And all the little church kids that were brought by the opposing side went and got rainbow cake. And
2: I'm like, let's
1: do direct action here. Let's stand and let's block their monitors. Let
2: me go head to head with the pastor in the front. I'm like, let's just disrupt all of this because it became a, like... It was a circus. It yeah. was
0: completely a circus. Yeah, and you know what? There, if you, if someone is gonna hate us, hate us for the right reasons, right? We will we will let you know exactly who we are. And it really it yeah it, it I, the next step is gonna be interesting.
2: Yeah, I think so. And really, it was
0: fun. Yeah. That that walkout and the people rallying outside and that kid, that one kid alone. I was like, every single step of the way here is worthwhile for that yes. kid. Yeah, and there were other kids yeah. there too who were like, I didn't realize there were this many people on my side. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize there were that many people on our side when two hundred people walked out. Yeah, I mean, when it was a big enough group outside that we needed a microphone so yeah. that people could hear, and you had people who were just allies, yeah. who were speaking up, it was mm-hmm. just incredible.
1: At the next meeting, that was like really bad. Um, yeah, Daniel was there, and. He had a different experience in that. That was the coolest thing you've ever done, Mom. Yeah, that is incredible that you're yes. fighting for people's rights. Yeah, that is right. so cool that you and Carol and every all the parents are like super into it. And there
2: were so and many. And my of nephew. Us. Yeah. yeah,
1: my nephew who says that. He's a Devo, right? Because he's queer. He loves to wear makeup. To see his mother show up and see and get to be a part of what he's been watching Jose and I do on social media, but get to be there and feel validated and loved and seeing all of our other kids literally playing in the background. Like the little kids from the religious opposition were holding these horrible, hateful signs saying like there's only boys, there's only girls like. And then you look at our kids and they were having the best time. They were running, they were wrestling each other, they were eating cake and And it was
2: like we're not gonna disappear. No we're not gonna
1: hide. We're not gonna be inside because we don't wanna listen to you, but we're gonna show up. Yeah. Right. And uh I think that's the important part. But the dichotomy, like, right? Oh. Between the two spaces, because our kids were like, This is inc- good for you. Resist, fight. And we have and to they have the best on. fun. Yeah. We do have to keep showing up. Oh. So back to, you said you don't have a, a vision for 2020.
2: I mean, I just having a little bit of fun with it, I guess. I don't know. Coalition building. I know I've said that a lot.
1: There's so much bridge, bridge, bridge building <laughs> to do that it exhausts yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but I love doing this work with you both.
0: I, know. I love I love that we're ending on like we've got something that's in a gray area with the mother of a non-binary child. And I think that's probably helped you learn to live in gray areas of like we're going to deal with today when we wake up. <laughs> How would you
1: like I mean I I, I know that we are We've extended time. Yeah. But I I do want to ask you, as a mother of a non-binary person... Yeah. How are you... There's so much more visibility. No. Now. How are they feeling about the visibility? Do you feel like that's real progress? Um, What more can we do as allies? I mean, I... I wish I could say that,
2: like school had gotten better. It Mm -hmm. just does. It really hasn't. Uh, I wish that, you know. I think that non-binary is still trapped in a binary, right? So, like, what other word, you know, could we use? Because I hate
0: non-words. Yeah, and
2: it. So how do we? How do we help? or how do we think about gender in a way that being non-binary is not like a transitional space? I think we still just have a lot of work to do around that.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And I feel like even though, you know, there's a movement to understand that, you know, being non-binary doesn't mean that you have to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, we have so many assumptions about, you know, how people are supposed to look at and their gender. Uh, and I feel like that's, like, uh, like, I've learned a lot, you know, from, from, right, from Santi. And and so I just think about, like, I hope that as we make a transition to high school, like, things will, will be better and feel better. and And, like, that, We can now like really focus on school, but it, but that's also a disillusion too. Like it just, so I'm trying to like be real and also like, uh, like, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 when we went up to the Capitol this week, right. To go to the press conference, um, I was really proud of Santi's speech, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like, and if they were sitting here, like I, you know, I would have this conversation with them too, about the ways in which like, just kind of learning to talk to the press and be visible. And I don't know what the consequence, like, you know what I mean? I know that like, we took a risk by being Mm -hmm. visible in a way that I don't know yet what consequences will be. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There was worried people would ask me, like, are you afraid that teachers will, do you know what I mean? Like, that they'll have a negative consequence. That's, I'm like, I don't know, you know, or from their peers or how they fit in or. And I think then, like, a like they're in middle school. And so navigating middle school. Yeah. For anybody is Ugh. like hard oh, yeah. enough. Oh, yeah. You know, Um, but yet, you know, they're in eighth grade and they have yet to read a queer book in school. And LGBT Cuba officially, so that says it all. Like, where are we? It's like, and I think that, like, uh, as a uh, you know, like, as someone who was raised, you know, with like, I think a lot about my Mexican grandfather who, like, hated living so close to the US on the border and would say to me things like, you know. Un paso adelante, tres pasos atrás. Right. So I was raised with this understanding that, like, you might think that you're gonna make take one step forward, but then you take three. You take. You know. And so, just kind of, I think that's part of it. Like knowing that we can do one thing, but yet, uh, there you're constantly in struggle. Mm -hmm. And so, like, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you do that every day without? being exhausted and burning out because mm-hmm. I feel burnt out, mm-hmm.
1: but yet I, I can't be, you mm-hmm. know? And so... And people, people truly believe that time leads to progress. But like I told you, I was listening to Martin Luther King's speeches from 50 years ago, and he hit all of our most present highlights, right? Police brutality, religious bias, poverty, hunger redlining, they were all there. Yeah. And so it just made my one of my favorite saying, I'm not a religious person. I mean, but one of my favorite sayings is when you pray, move your feet. Uh-huh. Um and yeah. I don't know if you look for it online, some will say it was a Quaker saying, some will say it's an African saying. Mm-hmm. Um and I regardless of its origins, there's a deep truth to understanding that if you really, really want something, you have to work for it um, and live it and push for it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't really have clarity on what 2020 will bring. I just know that I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And so we won't stop together. No. And we have each other. I know. I'm grateful for you both. Me too. We'll stop here, I Oh, guess. no. What
0: about our closing? Our traditional no, closing? Oh, okay. I we promise. We, we have promise. a traditional closing. Okay, cool. I'm excited okay. about
1: that. I just wanted to round out this <laughs> okay. moment that I'm appreciative of yes, you Yes, I am
0: appreciative of
1: both of you. <laughs> um, always being willing to listen to my
0: crazy spiral. <laughs> Of what needs right to there, happen. Right there with you. <laughs> I'm like,
1: this needs to but happen. But if you put
0: enough crazy spirals together, it's a tornado. And
1: I love just that. Just out of that. <laughs> oh my gosh, we can be the tornado. What, what, what I want for us in 2020, this is what I want for us in 2020. Because we're like a ragtag group, right? We're yes. the misfit toys, basically. But we're the misfit toys that... Organize at a grassroots level. And many of us have seats at tables, at larger tables, but I want our voices to be heard. Yeah. I, want, I want us to have seats at the table, but also be able to inspire and move the table with what we are seeing on the ground. And so that's, that's what I want for us in 2020, to have true impact yeah. on what's happening around us. Definitely. Okay, so where it's that time, okay, of who inspires you? So...
0: Who's someone who inspires you?
1: Me right now? Someone who inspires
2: me right now?
0: We could go first so you can think about it if you haven't had a chance to think. Yeah, you got it. Because I've been thinking about this. Really? I totally And I have two, but I'm only going to do one. I'm going to save one for later. Okay. So I was listening to a podcast earlier this week that this woman was being interviewed who talked about she had lived somewhere, ended up moving um, to an area that was very different politics than what she was a part of. Mm -hmm. And she thought she was alone. Mm -hmm. And she was driving down the street one day and saw a very small group which i think she said it was 6 people holding signs protesting children being held in cages at the border and she burst into tears and pulled over and talked to them and met them and they after that formed this movement that this gives me chills Mm -hmm. that a representative was elected in their district Mm -hmm. who represented their viewpoints and as it turned out the majority of viewpoints in their area and so people who inspire me are those you know i drive past them all the time and it makes me happy you see something like the sign it's like honk if you're against the war because there's always a war now i will honk and that minute of like wow they made me feel happy and so today I'm inspired by those people going out in little groups with signs that show other people that there are people like them in the world mm-hmm.
2: I like that mm-hmm. I, y'all you stumped me Um, I don't know I think this week like because my semester started and uh, uh I it I start with a new cohort and so like maybe right now I feel inspired by young people who are making decisions to become teachers Mm because I feel like we live in a moment or we always have where teachers are not valued where being in schools is seen as like you know you have nothing else to do so that's what you choose as a profession and like I really believe that like you know these young, like first generation students, uh, you know, not that like education is going to save us. Of course not. Like I don't buy that, but that like, you know, they, in spite of like all the professions that they can choose, have decided that like they want to, um, I don't know, be elementary school teachers and take the risk of like being advocates for, you know, immigrant and trans and queer kids and native kids and like taking the risk to do that and wanting to do that work. Um, I don't know.
0: And knowing they're not going to get paid a lot for it and they're not going to get the respect that once was there. That is pretty inspiring.
2: Yeah. You know, that's cool. So I, they, it makes me feel lucky and dates me too, you know. <laughs> yep, because uh, I started teaching 20 years ago, so it's like, uh, yeah, like so. So I have I have I have fun with them and they inspire me. And as much as I'm like, you know, like grumpy in terms of starting a new semester, like I feel lucky to be where I'm at and like i get inspired by the young kids at that school i'm going to do a professional development with the all of the staff this week and so i asked you know a gender nonconforming third grader like what do you want your teachers and other kids to know like about your experience and she says to me like every day in second grade every single day i was asked if i was a boy or a girl And now he's gotten better. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, so those young people who learn to, like, be articulate and to, like, share with us, like, they're why I do the work. They inspire me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you stole mine because I was going to say our kids. (laughs) You stole it at the end.
2: Yeah, no, all of uh, them.
1: No, but yeah. I mean, it, are you thinking of a kid this week in particular, or? No, I'm thinking about all the kids. Yeah. I mean, mine and your children. Clearly, I love them both. Um, and, but I think about, I think about why I answer the phone when parents call me.
2: Yeah.
1: They are the reason why. Doesn't say I don't love the parents. I love being in community with the parents. I love. That it's been healing for me to have people who, to be surrounded by people who understand. But, but the reality is, is that at the end of the day, the kids are the reason we're here. And they're just incredible little people. Like, I think about the child who spoke on the Arizona Spotlight NPR video, the brother, yeah. It was my
0: second one that I was going to save for the future. Oh, I stole it. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> <No>. That <laughs> was so good.
0: I was mean, so, so
1: inspired try- by him. We were in the car together and collectively gasped, right? Um,
0: so he said, what was it that made you?
1: I think the this young brother was asked about their younger sister's transition. Um, mm-hmm. This family was being spotlighted on an NPR. Uh, youth cross, uh, youth Crossing Gender Borders is the name of the series. And the journalist, Laura Markowitz, asked him about his sister and if he always knew. And he said, well, I, I, I don't want to quote directly, but he said, um, well, I kind of always knew she always was my sister. And then he said, and then they, he was asked, um, do you worry about her getting bullied? And he said, yeah, I guess I should protect her. I should protect her is what he said. And I just thought, first of all, siblings tend to always know, right? Like that's (laughs) their, because they spend so much time together. Um, And Dr. Cronin and I have talked about this. It's the trans youth experience. If you are a parent or someone close to the family watching it, you see it happening. It's so experiential. You're not, like it's not it doesn't come out of the blue, right? Like everyone's like, Oh, that makes sense. Um, even those that don't agree. No, absolutely. With, and that's not it all happening.
2: I often find like, you know, I probably even here I talk more about Santi, but Joaquin, yeah, like how it has shifted him. That little boy reminded me of Joaquin. Yeah. Right? Who's like, no, this is You know, there's not enough conversations with siblings, right? And kind of like what they see and their role
1: and like... And their experience. Their experience and their strength
2: Mm -hmm. and their
1: understanding. And And their allyship. Yeah. Because many times they carry that secret with the sibling. Yeah. Oh, and Joaquin is the best pronoun corrector. And
2: like, he has no issues about it. He's going to correct everyone.
1: And so I think they... and. that brother inspired yeah because yeah. that was like love in action yeah right? i love that yeah like you should absolutely. have heard the car like we Carol were like- and i had had like two glasses of rose and then we hear this <laughs> episode and we're like oh it's so lovely um and so i think the kids are gonna be my my inspiration this week i mean they inspire me all the time they're the reason We're here. I call it the reason for our transgender season. (laughs) This is to keep going, right? Thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, Lisa.
1: So um, thank you all. Thank you for being here. And I love you. I love you. I love you both.
0: (gasps) And, thank you, I, and I also, you know, in closing, when we're thanking you, I would like to remember that we're thanking Dr. Brochin, <laughs> that you are Dr. Brochin, and that's oh my important. Goodness, I, You're not just some lady off the street who knows a lot about let's education. Let's talk
1: about that. I was just being <laughs> sexist. You, no, no, you weren't. No, no, let's I've been yeah. to you as me, Dr. Cronin multiple times in this interview, and I never once introduced you as Dr. Carol Brochin. No, right. because also... No, No, but we do do that, right? (laughs) No, we can call it.
0: Oh, apparently we will be talking a bunch more after this (laughs) episode. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Carol (laughs) Brochin.
1: Yeah, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. That's a learning moment for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. So we're ending it. Lizette just was a shit right now, but that's okay. It's a learning moment. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining in. And we will have a new episode for you next week, next ah, weekend. That's Yay. right. Yes. An extra soad. An extra alright you All right, y'all. Have a good day. Mm.